Can we get your Bibles out? Turn to Isaiah chapter 13. That's where we're going to be starting from this evening. We've been working through Isaiah. We're about to be taking a break from Isaiah and moving over to the book of Daniel. Uh, but I wanted to cover this fairly lengthy section of Isaiah before we make the move. Um, so as, we, as we've been studying through Isaiah, we've seen this kind of a picture. And so this is nothing different or new from, from what we've seen in the past. The idea of judgment mixed in with hope. Uh, it kind of has gone back and forth. And we've seen that uh, all these promises that are very New Testament promises being brought in amidst a lot of judgment against uh, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, the nation of Assyria has also been mixed in with judgments. And now as we come into chapter 13, we see more judgment. And as we look at this judgment, um, it doesn't end for a while. <laughs> uh, but there is again mixed throughout uh, uh, periods of hope and, and discussions of hope. So we're going to see that as well. And as we look at this section... We notice something peculiar. Um, the, the focus has shifted away from God's people somewhat. There's, they're brought in here some, but the focus has kind of expanded. It's as though we've, we've backed up and we've taken kind of a 30,000-foot view of all the nations that are surrounding God's people, and now God is going to predict judgments against those surrounding nations. God does this quite a few times in the prophets. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel, we have uh, a lot of chapters, like almost 10 chapters devoted to judging different nations. Uh, Jeremiah also has many chapters to, devoted to judging all these different surrounding nations. And whenever we open this up and whenever we look at judgment against surrounding nations, we need to recognize that this is a message of hope for those who are God's people. Because if, if you're living in a world where uh, you, the people all around you are corrupt and evil and the nations around you are corrupt and evil and they are doing better than you and they are mocking you and, and taking advantage of you maybe and even uh, robbing you in some ways, then the, the idea that God is going to give them justice and judgment is going to give you a sense of hope for the future. That God will make things better. That God will make things right. And in our day, uh, we, we have a period of somewhat peace and security in our country. That may not always be the case. But uh, as, as we struggle to relate to this, I hope that we can, we can see it a little bit through their eyes and how they would view this. But what's really interesting is, as we read through this, that judgment was very real to them. Judgment was not some, you know, figment of... Uh, their imagination. It wasn't something that, you know, they were just told about and they'd never really experienced in any way. Um, they had been experiencing God's judgment for quite some time. He had come in judgment against them in many different ways, with plagues, with pestilence, uh, with droughts and famines, all kinds of different ways. God is bringing about judgments, and it was very real to them. And now God says the realness of the judgment is going to be felt outside the borders of Israel. And look at where he starts. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. He starts with Babylon. Now, if you're an Israelite, a, a Judean during this time, 
this seems kind of odd, you know? I mean, he's talked a little bit about Assyria and the judgment of Assyria, but now all of a sudden Babylon's going to be discussed, and Babylon gets a lot of information, a lot of judgment against them, taking up uh, multiple chapters of this book. And Babylon is put right here at the forefront of this judgment section. And, and, and we see that as it progresses, that God is foretelling the destruction not only just of this nation, but in great detail. Look at verse 17. Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. God is making it clear that they'll be judged, that they'll be destroyed. And he not only makes it clear that they'll be destroyed, but he also says exactly who he's going to use to destroy them. And look what else he says. Look in verse uh, 1 of chapter 14. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They'll take captive those who were their captors, and rule over those who oppressed them. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. And then he goes, and the rest of chapter 14 is a taunt against the king of Babylon uh, from the Israelites, from the Judeans. And so God is, is, is describing this destruction of this great nation, Babylon. And as he's describing it, he says, I'm going to bring all my people back into the land. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to make them rulers over those who had ruled over them. I'm going to make them captors of those who had captivated them. And, and I'm going to provide for them the opportunity to taunt those evil, wicked people of the Babylonians. Now, this is showing us that God has the power and the ability to destroy what will be a great and powerful nation. But what is really interesting about this text is that Isaiah is writing all this, as I've said before, over a hundred years before Babylon is anybody. Like right now, uh, at the time Isaiah is writing this, Babylon is just a, a hole in the desert, you know. It's just a little dirt city uh, that doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's of no significance. And here God decides he's going to reveal to, uh, to all his people that Babylon is going to be made a deserted place. And they're all just sitting there like, well, what are you talking about? They are, they're deserted. Like, it's hardly anything right now. They're, they're nobodies. And God says... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy him, knowing what's going to happen in the future, making it very clear that he has the foresight, the ability to see the future. And he even calls out and says, I'm going to send the Medes against them to destroy them. And he calls out and says, I'm going to have compassion on my people and bring them back from their captivity. He is foretelling the future right here in this judgment against Babylon. This is really just a showing of the power of God the sovereignty of God, the, the power that he has to control nations and to, to judge them and bring them under condemnation for their wickedness. If you're an Israelite who has uh, pursued wickedness and you're now suffering at the hands of the Babylonians, you read this 
and you think, oh, wow, Isaiah was talking about this over a hundred years ago, and God knew that this was going to happen, but he knew that he was going to judge them too. So God is providing for the people well before they even realize that he could provide for them. As you, as you read throughout this section, we're not going to read it all. It's, it's a little too much for us to cover in one section, but I didn't want us to spend week after week talking about judgment against this nation, judgment against that nation. I wanted to kind of bring all this together, so we're going to jump around a little bit. But as you move forward, you see judgments against other nations as well. Uh, he, he mentions the Assyrians very briefly, verses 24 uh, through 27 of chapter 14. Then he moves on to the Philistians, uh, Philistines in the very end of the chapter. And then he goes to Moab in chapter 15 and in chapter 16. Moab gets a considerable bit of information about them. And I'd like to notice one of the things that he points out about Moab after saying they're going to be destroyed because they are proud. Uh, listen to this, verse 16. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. So there's this picture of pride in the Moabites. Really, pride is the problem throughout all of these. And God is going to bring them into judgment, and he's going to provide their spoils for his own people. That's kind of the way that he, he displays this. But they're all very proud. They're very arrogant. They're taking up their taunt against God's people. And as he's, he's saying all of this, notice back in verse 3 that he says, uh, verse 2, let's start. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcasts and do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer when the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Notice there's this little bit of hope uh, being stated for Moab. We're going to see hope in just a minute, and, and I'll refer back to this text. So there's all this judgment, all this judgment, all this judgment against Moab and against all the people. Look at verse uh, 7 of chapter 17. It says, In that day man will look to his maker, and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel, he will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not look on, on what his own fingers have made, either the ashram or the altars of incense. Notice here he's bringing judgment against Damascus. And he's saying they're going to stop all this foolish idolatry. They're going to stop trusting in themselves and their own abilities to create gods. And they're going to start trusting in me. Now look at verse 12. It says... All the thunders of many peoples, they thunder like the thunderings of the sea. All the roar of nations, they roar like the roaring of mighty waters. The nations roar like the roaring of many waters, but he will rebuke them, and they will flee far away, chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind, and whirling dust before the storm. At evening time, behold terror. Before morning, they are no more. This is the portion of those who loot us the lot of those who plunder us. Notice judgment against all these nations. 
nation after nation after nation. He goes into Cush, he talks about them, he talks about Egypt, and he says, this is the thundering of many nations. They're all coming up against God's people, and God says, they're going to have terror in the night, and by the morning, they're not even going to exist anymore. They're going to be judged, they're going to be destroyed, but the judgment's not the end. Uh, notice that the end there, it says that the people are going to be plundered, blunt, plundering them. As they have plundered us, they're gonna, the, the people are, uh, of God are now going to plunder them. So overall, the judgments that are being made are being connected with a little bit of pictures of hope. And we're really going to bring that out in just a minute, like I said. But notice as, as we read through this that there's even more judgment, not just against all these nations. There's obviously a lot of judgments against a lot of nations but even against God's own people. Uh, look back at chapter 17 and verse 10. This is a description of uh, judgment against even God's own people. Uh, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation. You've not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant, pa- bleh, plant pleasant plants, say that ten times fast, uh, and sow the vine branch of a stranger... Though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. Notice they've forgotten God and God is bringing judgment. Go to uh, chapter 22. And this is uh, in chapter 21, they have another description of judgment against Babylon. Uh, But chapter 22, verse 8, notice this is a judgment against God's people. Um, starting in verse 8. He has taken away the covering of Judah. In that day you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest, and you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool, and you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water and of the old pool. But you did not look to him who did it. Or see him who planned it long ago. In that day the Lord of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth, and behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ears. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for you until you die, says the Lord. Of hosts. Notice here he's, he's specifically talking about taking away the covering of Judah, and that's a picture of God taking away his protection from his own people. And the reason why he says here the judgment is coming against his own people is because they are constantly trusting in themselves. We've seen this throughout Isaiah so far. They're relying on their own abilities. They're going into the woods and they're fashioning for themselves weapons. They're tearing down their houses to build up their walls. And they're doing all of these things to try to protect themselves. And God just says, come to me in humility, you know, in sackcloth and ashes and baldness, you know, making vows and and committing yourselves to me. But instead, what they did is they just ate and drank and partied and they say, hey, we're going to die, we're going to die. And so there's judgment even against God's people. And so here we see the self-sufficiency betrays God, uh, that they have gone against God and, and they've Produce, or they've, they've pursued their own ways. 
So all these nations are being judged. And even Israel itself, Judah itself, is being judged for their wickedness. But what's really interesting is it doesn't end there. You got Tyre and Sidon in chapter 23, and then you get in chapter 24 the whole earth being pictured. Now look at this. There's a particular part that I really, really find interesting. Look at verse 21 of chapter 24. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They'll be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They'll be shut up in a prison. And after many days, they'll be punished. God is is bringing harsh judgments against everyone against the whole earth and even in heaven itself he says the host of heaven will also be gathered with those who are on the earth and they will all be judged and thrown into a pit and imprisoned Uh, so so you see that judgment is very clearly described over and over again by god now why do we care anything about this well this is important right We see in this God has the ability to judge all of these nations. If you're living at that time and you're seeing a a Russia, China, uh, North Korea, you're seeing these huge nations and you're just thinking nobody can stop them. They're, They're too big. They're too strong. They won't fall in a day. They can't be destroyed. Nothing can happen to them. And God is saying, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe them out. Yeah, I'm going to wipe them out too. And they're going to go too. All of their wickedness, I see, I know, and I'm going to bring about a judgment against them. All their blasphemies, all their pride, all their arrogance will get them nowhere. All their self-sufficiency, all of their planning and security and their weapons and everything they're doing to try to protect themselves and establish themselves, God says, no. This is God saying, I'm about to do something really big on the earth. I'm about to, to, to settle everybody down. The same thing that we've seen in the past is about to happen again. There's this cycle uh, that, that we see throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. that The men on earth become very proud, very arrogant, and God brings them back down. The flood was the big one, right? It really cut down the pride and the arrogance of men and the willful defiance and disobedience of men. But then you have the Tower of Babel again, this kind of instance where they're building themselves up to be great and then God scatters them and and cuts them down. Then you have many famines on the earth. You have many uh, trials. You have Israel themselves being made up to this great nation that comes in and brings judgment against uh, all the earth that, that they come up against. And now you see God is saying, I'm going to bring another judgment, and I'm going to wipe out all these nations that have lifted themselves up and and appear to be so good and so righteous, uh, but they're really very, very wicked. And so overall, the picture you see as you're going through this judgment is that God has that power. God has that authority. If he decides to lift up a nation, he can lift up a nation. If he decides to bring down a nation, he can bring down a nation. We're going to see a lot of this in Daniel. Really, this is kind of the message that we're going to see in the first six chapters of Daniel, that God is sovereign. He has the power and the ability to overthrow even the most seemingly powerful on the earth. And the message that's underneath that is that our sin is bringing about a curse. 
Our sin is bringing about suffering and, and anxiety and turmoil and terror. You know, it's not that God is just mean and he's wanting to punish people, but it's that people are worthy to be punished. You know, we deserve to be punished uh, because we are bringing about terror on our brethren, on other people, and we are lifting ourselves up and throwing down the innocent, and, they, and that deserves punishment. If you look at chapter 24, verse 4, look at what it says here. It's really also very interesting. Uh, this chapter 24 is basically a judgment against the whole earth <laughs> and, and saying the whole earth's about to be destroyed, um, even though it's, you know, not actually what happened in the, in, the, in the most literal sense, but it is certainly uh, extensive destruction on all the nations that were on the earth. But look at verse 4. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. You see the picture of destruction happening on the earth, and barely any left. It's this picture of burning it up, you know, destroying the earth, and only leaving a few remaining. So God is foretelling a lot of judgment, a lot of terror against the earth at this time. And this is Isaiah speaking, and, and there's been a great atrocities, atrocities that have happened under the Assyrian Empire, and uh, there's going to be more atrocities that are going to happen under the Babylonian Empire, and, and God is eventually going to use the Babylonians as a hammer to destroy many nations and uh, other, other nations as well to, to destroy uh, and to judge. So overall, a picture of judgment. But let's, let's now look again at this kind of idea of hope. The first one that we saw, we, we, we went ahead and looked at it. I jumped the gun because I was excited. I uh, probably shouldn't have. But it was in chapter 16. You notice that uh, judgment against Moab had the, this statement of uh, renewal from David, that God was going to set up a new David. Uh, verse 4 again, Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more, the destruction has ceased, and he who trumpets under, tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. That verse right there is telling us that God is instructing his people to bring in those who he's judged. <laughs> he's judged the Moabites. He brought about destruction on them because of their pride. And now all those who are outcasts and all those who are escaping for their lives, he tells his people, bring in those sojourners, you know, take care of them until, and, and even hide them, you know, shelter them, prevent them from being found so that they can escape uh, because the judgment is more wicked than it should be. And we read about that in other texts. But then verse 5 says, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. You take a few seconds and you just think about that phrase right there, and you know who that's talking about. 
God's foretelling that he's going to set up and establish a king who will rule as God intends and who will save from the curse of judgment, who will bring about redemption, who will bring about salvation, who will have steadfast love, who will be faithful, who will do judgment and provide justice, but he will do everything in righteousness. This is the same thing Isaiah's been talking about earlier, the shoot of Jesse that was foretold. And then later uh, we, we read in verse 19 as we're studying about the Egyptians and their judgment, uh, we learn this. Look at um, chapter 19, starting at verse 20, or verse 21, sorry. It says, And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. And worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. Well, that's interesting. I mean, if you follow the story along in the Old Testament, who is Egypt? I mean, these guys are the bad guys, right? All throughout the Old Testament. Uh, you know, Joseph went there and found rescue, and, and he was okay. And then after him, it just went bad. You know, they became the oppressors and the captors, and they ended up causing a lot of suffering for Israel. And God brought judgment against them. Well, now God is saying, I'm going to bring judgment against Egypt. But then he says, after that, I'm going to make myself known to them. And they are going to worship me. And serve me, and, and they're going to acknowledge that I am the one true God. They're going to go from paganism to faithfulness. And so God is foretelling a lot of judgment, but he's also foretelling in the midst of the judgment a future time when there will be the surrounding nations coming to his people to find peace and rest and security and coming to, his, uh, to, to the understanding that he is the true God and, and desiring to worship him and be faithful to him. You, you keep reading there. There's even more. Uh, verse 22, the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. That's interesting. Okay, If you're aware of history at this time, Egyptians and Assyrians aren't really friends. Um, they're enemies. Uh, the Assyrians are really desiring to come down into Egypt and to destroy Egypt and to take Egypt over. Uh, and, and Israel and Judah are kind of in between the two, right? And they're, they're kind of being tugged one way or the other between Egypt and between Assyria. And God says he's going to listen to Egypt's pleas for mercy. He's going to heal them after punishing them. And then he's going to build a highway extending from Egypt all the way to Assyria. And you keep reading verse 24. It says, In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Now these are three nations that couldn't be more different. And yet, God is, is foretelling, uh, taking that 
fractured people, all these divisions and dividedness, and making them into his people. The, the lamb will dwell with the lion, so to speak, as he said before, and the child with the adder, the snake. So overall, he's, he's again drawing this picture of uniting all the people of the earth into the one kingdom that worships and serves him. And that is very New Testament. That's very much a picture of what we have today in the first century. So as we, as we read through this, yeah, we see a lot of judgment. You go through the prophets, you expect to see a lot of judgment, right? But it's not just judgment. In, in the midst of the judgment, we see that God is wanting salvation, not condemnation. He, doesn't, he is not excited about bringing all this judgment on the earth, except that he understands that the judgments aren't the end, but the judgments are the means to the end of humbling these proud people and bringing about their redemption. That's who God is. That's what God does. And so here in the midst of this big section where we have a lot of judgments, we really find revealed to us the heart of God, the heart that desires to restore. And especially as we see David, the, the seed of David being brought into this, we, we see clearly his desire is to restore all the nations to him through the reign of Christ. That's what he's all about. And that's the message of this huge section of judgment. And that's the message of all the sections of judgment that are, that are scattered out throughout all these nations in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah and all these other places. It's a very similar picture. And so we might just want to skim through all that and say, well, what does any of this have to do with us? But instead, we want to embrace this. Okay? We want to see the value in this text and in all the wonderful things that are being shared with us. We might say, why do I care about judgment? Well, we need to embrace the, the story of judgment because that's our story. That's our story. The wickedness of those nations is the wickedness of us. We could have read through and seen all the wickedness that they did, but even just the, the pictures that we saw of trying to be self-sufficient and going out to the forest and making all these weapons and, and tearing down our houses to build up walls. I mean, doesn't that sound like stuff we do uh, instead of trusting in God and, and putting our faith and trust in Him? I mean, all the wickedness that we read about uh, that, they, that they're involved in could easily be seen as ours. And ultimately, whatever wickedness we're involved in, has made us worthy of judgment and, and worthy of condemnation. But we see that the pride is the biggest one, right? The arrogance and the pride. All of that wickedness needs to be confronted. And God wants it confronted. He wants to say, you, you're wrong and you deserve the judgment that I'm about to bring so that we'll be humbled and so that we, instead of receiving judgment, will receive mercy and grace. Because that's really what he's after. He is patient, and he's waiting for us to do that, for us to turn away from our wickedness and to seek his mercy and his grace. And if we will seek after that, then we will find that God wants to save us. He does not want to condemn us and destroy us. We should be, because of these statements of judgment mixed in with hope, falling in love with God's word and falling in love with God who has revealed this to us. Every time we open up the book of Isaiah and we see these little glimmers of hope in the midst of judgment, we should be seeing we ourselves are worthy of judgment, but God doesn't want to judge us. 
He doesn't want to condemn us. He wants to get past the time of suffering and move into the time of restoration and redemption. And that's why he sent us his son to save us, to redeem us, to forgive us. Uh, Next time that we get into Isaiah, we're going to see a lot of pictures of hope uh, and and love and mercy as God has made so many promises that he's really going to be hitting on a lot as we move forward in Isaiah. So I'm looking forward to that very, very much. There will be judgment mixed in, but there will be a lot of statements on hope. But right now we're just going to kind of put a bookmark there in Isaiah and we'll come back and, and start off with chapter 25 next time. So thank you very much for listening tonight. I uh, hope that this message has helped you in uh, digesting the prophets a little bit better. Uh, we didn't do a whole lot of reading uh, and diving into all of that. It's a lot to read, a lot to study. I encourage you to, to finish looking through that in your own time. Uh, but right now we'll offer you an opportunity to submit your life to Christ if anybody needs to do that. If you're struggling in some way, you need prayers, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to let us know that so that we can lift you up in prayer and uh, hopefully help you in any way that we can. Will you please let us know what you need? Please come as we stand and as we sing.